Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. It's match day five and we're on our Sunday night recap. I'm Ruri Barlow. I'm going to be your host for today, but I'm joined by the ever-excellent Roman de Arquer. How are you doing, Roman? Good. I mean, we enjoyed some very entertaining games this weekend. Lots of goals in some of those games, uh, which was great always to see to see goals. And the last one uh, we've seen on uh, Sunday night, which was Villarreal Betis. I mean, didn't have too many goals, but definitely had uh, a lot of opportunities and it was quite exciting to watch. So I'm uh, very happy about this uh, match day so far. Yeah, we've had some ascetic weekends in La Liga in the last season, but we were treated to, as you say, kind of a, fe- a fiesta of goals in the last kind of couple of, ma- uh, couple of days. That Villarreal Betis, though, it was the one that we previewed before the match as kind of the big tie of this weekend. It ended 1-0 to Betis, a massive win at the Benito Villamarín. It was Luis Enrique who assisted Rodri for Betis to get this sort of winner. Villarreal missed some chances. What did you kind of make of this game and, and did Betis kind of deserve the win, do you think? Well, I mean, uh, I think overall it was quite an equal game, but I do think Villarreal, I mean, the first half had some really good opportunities through uh, Jackson, through Moreno. I mean, I think they should have converted a few of those they had. That was very unfortunate for them. Uh, and, you know, Betis made the most of it because they did have uh, the ball quite a lot also in the, in the first half. Maybe not uh, as incisive as Villarreal, I'd say. Uh, but then, you know, once they got the goal, they just uh, sat back and then uh, it was Villarreal all the time, you know, pushing forward, trying to find those spaces. But of course, uh, they lost Gerard Moreno due to a possible injury, so he had to be subbed off before time. And of course, that didn't help uh, in their uh, chances of finding a goal because Jackson wasn't maybe uh, that good in the second half. Chukwese came on, he, did look, he, he looked really sharp. I mean, he did generate a lot of danger. Uh, but overall, I... I don't know, Villarreal were just missing something in attack, you know, to, to finish off uh, all the possession and all the creativity they were having uh, towards the end of the, of, the, of the field of the pitch. So, I mean, uh, in the end, I'd say it's, it's, it is a fair result because, I mean, Betis were a solid team overall and I think a good defending also uh, gets you wins in this case. 100%. And this was obviously kind of a direct rival match between Betis and Villarreal. I think they're both going for fourth place. Betis, I think it was their best start since 2011-2012 with four wins out of five. It's just that defeat to Real Madrid. Are Betis kind of now favourites? Now that we've had kind of a wee bit of a taste of the season, do you make them favourites for that fourth place or, or Villarreal still kind of uh, further ahead in your mind? 
Well, I mean, I was pretty convinced that for me, at the beginning of the season, Villarreal were slightly ahead. But, of course, uh, we have to see what happens with Moreno. You know, if he's going to be injured a long time, it's going to be similar to last season where he kept getting injured. They kept losing him. That was definitely going to be a big setback because they were looking for another striker. They were uh, pressing for Umar Sadiq, Sadiq, for example, Villarreal to have like a backup there. But in the end, uh, it was too expensive. They decided not to go for anyone in particular and they just... Uh, you know, gave a trust to Baena, to Jackson, to those youngsters coming on from, from the B team. So, I mean, uh, it's hard to say. I, I still think Villarreal are slightly ahead, but definitely Betis are going to fight for it. For me, those two definitely are, are going to be one of the fourth uh, teams if Atletico uh, keep up a good level. And Betis's rivals, Sevilla, I think we've sort of discounted them a little bit from the top four race, but they did get their first win of the season up in your neck of the woods against Espanyol, 3-2, Jose Angel Carmona with two goals and an assist on his first start for Sevilla. It was a pretty remarkable performance from him. Espanyol went 3-0 down through a lot of their own mistakes in the first half and then pegged them back to 3-2, but Sevilla just about saw it out. Uh, Eric Lamella got the first goal, but it was then sent off and uh, it was far from convincing, but how much does this win do for Lopetegui's job security? Well, I mean, it's definitely a big boost because I think uh, another defeat uh, would have basically sent him off. And, and if it had been a defeat uh, after winning 3-0 or, or drawing even after winning 3-0, that definitely would have, uh, I think, uh, made him lose his job because uh, Lopete, we all know, is in a very, very tight position at the moment. We saw last season how things didn't go great. This season, they haven't started good at all. So, I mean, this is a breath of fresh air for him and, and his team. And you, you can see the team really needed the win too. I think the players... Uh, want this to work out and uh, I was surprised to see the formation at the beginning because there were lots of changes you mentioned uh, Jose Angel uh, with his debut and you know playing Oliver Torres playing um, La Mela I don't know I, I, Gudels, I felt like it was a bit of a, a strange lineup it wasn't maybe your best 11 uh, take into account what uh, Lopetegui was, was playing for but uh, I mean it, it paid off you know and he definitely uh, knew what he was doing I mean uh, Sevilla got that 3-0 advantage which was comfortable of course, in the end, they struggled because Espanyol fought back and uh, the sending off of uh, the end of um, La Mela, of course, uh, didn't help. But uh, credit to, to Lopetegui and hopefully he can build on uh, off of this and, and get Sevilla to play better football because they definitely have a squad to be uh, top five at least, you know. And just a quick word on Espanyol. As I say, they're obviously your neck of the woods. More mistakes from Diego Martinez's side. I mean, they showed a lot in that kind of defeat to Real Madrid. So they were beaten narrowly, but things haven't really got off the ground. Yeah, I mean, maybe we had really high expectations because we, we know what Diego Martinez did at Granada, you know, and, and I, th I felt like... Uh, with with the t with Espanyol, he could do something similar, but these things also take time. You know, it's not going to have an immediate impact. And let's not forget, at the same time, they have to be dealing with the Raúl de Tomás situation, which definitely doesn't help. Because imagine having Raúl de Tomás and José Lu playing together up front. I mean, the Espanyol probably would have uh, grabbed a few more points. So I mean, uh, summer planning has been affected by this apparently because with the money they were going to get from the Tomas they, they were planning on a couple more signings at least but of course that didn't work out so Diego Martinez had to improvise a bit with what he has and I think the squad is it's, it's not it's not bad but it's not great either you know I thought they would maybe bring as I said a couple more players to really uh, reinforce maybe attack although Braithwaite to be fair seems to be working pretty well <laughs> with two goals already 
uh, we'll see if he can keep up this level. But yeah, I mean, I'd give Diego Martinez some more time, you know, because we all know what he's capable of. And I think uh, in the end, Espanyol will be um, able to get better in the, in the standings, you know, and climb up the, those positions. Espanyol whistled off at the end, but we do have faith in Diego Martinez, as Roman said. He's, he's enough credit in the bank for a little bit. And exactly. <laughs> coming on to, to the team we are just mentioning there, Real Madrid 4-1 against Mallorca at home. Doesn't entirely tell the whole story of the match, though, because Mallorca were pretty good. They handled Real Madrid pretty well for my money, and it was only sort of a late flurry of goals which added a bit of padding to the scoreline. This was, of course, their first match without Karim Benzema from the start after he picked up an injury against Celtic. How did they fare in your view, Roman? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Mallorca looked really solid. Um, they created quite a lot of danger. I mean, they got the first goal of the game uh, through Muriki and Kangin Lee, who's, who's looking so, so good this season so far. He keeps assisting, scoring, providing for that team, and he's definitely... Uh, seems like he's convinced he's, he can step up his game and he's doing it so far. And, and Mallorca, honestly, look much better than I thought. I thought they would be relegation candidates and at the moment they're proving me wrong. I'm glad for them because, I mean, Aguirre is doing a great job there and, and they look like a solid team. You know, defensively, uh, last season they were very, very poor, whereas somehow they've kind of like fixed many of those uh, problems they had and Madrid, you know, had a tough time uh, coming back. And in the end, of course, uh, like... The Espanol game you mentioned against Madrid, where at the end, you know, they got a the couple of goals and kind of made it look like it was a big win. Similar thing happened here. At the end, you know, Rodrigo, Vinicius, they did their thing. And Rudiger got the, the fourth goal. Um, a bit unfair for one, I'd say, as you said, because uh, overall, Mallorca did, did well. And they maybe, uh, f for quite a big part of the game, they did deserve at least a point. But in the end, it's Real Madrid, you know, and we know how they push, how they keep pressing. And uh, they're looking pretty pretty good this season too, Real Madrid. I thought they would maybe bring down their level a little, a little bit, but it's completely the opposite. They've really uh, stepped up and they look more of a confident side. And it seems like they're not playing as, I wouldn't say bad, because last season I felt like Madrid's um, results maybe weren't at the level of the, the, the football they were playing. But this season they are really stepping up in that sense and they look like a ve very dangerous side indeed. Eden Hazard started in place of Karim Benzema and he was pretty good in midweek against Celtic. He was involved in all three goals, but this was very much a return to the anonymous Eden Hazard. And I wrote a bit about this on the kind of La Liga Lowdown substack. Make sure you go and subscribe there because there's some good content from the likes of Roman um, and myself coming out there. But yeah, I wrote a bit about how this was kind of his opportunity to carve out a role. Hazard again missing and I, I fear for him this was against kind of a more packed defense than it was against Celtic where he had a lot of space to work with yeah what are your views on him and are we set for another season of disappointing moments from from Hazard honestly I think uh, at this point he really isn't going to be the Hazard we all knew I mean it, it is surprising because I mean he came from Chelsea and he, he was still playing good football that's why they, they signed him you know and then suddenly out of nowhere the injuries and and maybe the lack of confidence. And year after year, you know, Madrid fans have the hope that he might uh, return to his best form or at least uh, start providing more. But uh, it's true that against Celtic he was pretty good. But I don't, I don't know. I don't just see it uh, happening. It's really difficult for a player to recover after so many years of, of being at the bottom, you know, and really struggling. I mean, it is hazard. It could happen. But honestly, my personal view is that uh, we won't see the best ha hazard in a consistent manner. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a crying shame when you see a footballer completely 
sort of fall off a cliff from where they were. Moving across the city to Saturday night's entertainment, and that was Atleti against Celta. 4-1 win for Los Colchoneros, and it was it was a comfortable win in the end, but again, not for the entire 90 minutes. And Angel Correa got us started, Rodrigo de Paul, Unai Nunez, an own goal for Celta, and Yannick Carrasco with a terrific goal. Gabri Vega, youngster, got on the score sheet as well for Celta, who pressed early on, and Iago Aspas hit the post. They looked very threatening, but eventually Atleti just took their chances in this one. Yeah, I mean, Atleti looked uh, more efficient, we could say, towards goal, because I think they had four shots on target. They got four goals. Uh, they got a bit lucky also, I guess, because Unai Nunez had an own goal, as you said. But I think the other goal was kind of an own goal, too, from him, you know, from when Rodrigo de Paul shot. I think it rebounded on him and went in. So, awful game by poor Unai Nunez, who, who was looking pretty good this season at Celta. So we can't really uh, dump him for just one game. I mean, he's still a good player for them. But overall, Atletico, as I was saying, you know, they looked really efficient. A few chances they had, you know, they were, they were making the most of them. And Celta de Vigo, the first half, you know, they did create. They did have some really good uh, opportunities, as, as you mentioned, too. And I think uh, they did deserve a bit more, but they were just incapable of, of breaking down that Atleti defense overall. And I, th- I think they felt the pressure towards the second half. They were... Uh, lacking ideas maybe and Atleti were more and more comfortable and just uh, getting more goals and, and making the margin wider you know so important three points for Atleti for the Madrid definitely who also have had a, a tumbling start we could say to the season and they don't look as, as sharp maybe but um, if they're getting the results and they're more efficient that's some, something that Cholo is going to be happy with yeah and Antoine Griezmann 30 minute man came on in the 63rd minute again <laughs> Uh, in terms of Atleti's attack, I mean, I kind of looked at last season and Joao Felix was looking very sharp. He was looking very good. And started this season, Hitafe, three assists in the first match, looked really good. Him and Morata have been all right, but they haven't exactly set the world alight, alight since that Hitafe game. What's your kind of views on Atleti's attack and why, again, are we not seeing Joao Felix kind of perform to the levels that we're maybe expecting? It's honestly a very complicated question to answer because, I mean, as you said, he, he had a really great season towards the end last year and now again he starts super well. And again, he's fading a bit out. He's got like these moments where he shows his quality and then kind of disappears again. I'm not really sure if it's uh, Cholo asking too much of him sometimes or maybe uh, asking for different tasks from from uh, Joao Felix. But uh, in the end, we, we do know that he has that capacity you know, to shine and to lead the team forward. Uh, but yeah, he, he just, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's attitude, maybe it's mentality, I mean, it could be so many things, but I mean, overall, Morata, Joao Felix, I think it's a pretty good two forward attackers to have on your team, Morata also, I think he's he doesn't have the consistency, but he, you know, he can get you a goal anytime, and you play him 60 minutes, and if he doesn't do well, just bring on another of those uh, great strikers you have uh, in, on the bench, but I mean, yeah, the Joao Felix situation is quite weird, but uh, hopefully he'll finally manage to, to explode or implode this season and show he's, he is really good because we've seen it. He just needs to keep it up, you know. Yeah, 100%. And I do think Joao Felix will come good eventually, just on the record before um, Atleti fans, don't we? <laughs> but that will wrap us up for part one. And then we'll come on to Barcelona Cadiz, which was eventful for some of the wrong reasons, to be, to be perfectly honest. But we'll get into that and discuss exactly what happened in part two. Don't go away because we'll be back in just a second.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. It's the Match Day 5 recap we're on. I'm Ruri Barlow. We're joined by Roman de Arquer. And now we have to go into sort of a topic that was... It was a hard watch on Saturday evening as Barcelona travelled to Cardiff. They were 2-0 up in about the 82nd minute when the referee, Carlos de Cerro Grande, stopped the match. Conan Ledesma, the Cardiff goalkeeper, was seen sprinting across the pitch with a defibrillator that was given to him by the Barcelona medical staff. It quickly became apparent that someone in the crowd had been taken unwell. Jose Mari, who's another Cardiff player, with a central defender, was seen carrying a stretcher with the medical staff into the stands. And it was a, it was a sobering watch. And then for the best part of an hour, the game was postponed. The players, you, kind of, you saw Ronald Araujo playing on the pitch. He's, it was somber faces before they eventually went off. They came back on about an hour later, completed the final sort of 10 minutes. Pleased to, pleased to say that the Caddy fan did recover. He was taken to hospital and is recovering kind of in the ICU, but, but all was well there. And it was, it, was, it was a hard watch and it was a strange, surreal situation to the point where by the end Barcelona won 4-0, but it didn't really feel that important, did it, Roman? Yeah, it was definitely a very uncommon situation, uh, you know, in a, in a football field to, to, for a game to stop, you know, and so because the fan is is really struggling and suffering, and it was very unfortunate overall. Thankfully, uh, everyone reacted quick. The clubs helped as much as they could, and and they managed to to get the person to a hospital. But yeah, I mean, the, the game itself um, started off a bit strange too, a bit dull, I'd say, because Chavi completely changed the whole formation. Uh, well, the formation, the you know, all the set of players, the starting eleven, and uh, it was quite a risky move in my opinion. Maybe uh, too confident that they they'd get an easy win against Cadiz, which definitely wasn't the case. So I mean, I was quite surprised to, to see Xavi do that, and and if they they'd lost the game or, or drew, drawn or whatever, it would definitely been his fault, you know, for for making uh, so many changes 
for for this particular game. Also take into account that in the last four games they hadn't won against Cali, so it was like a, a tough team to play against. But uh, in the end, you know, they got that goal right uh, off the start of the second half, and then uh, from there on, uh, as you said, other goals came. But uh, the main thing was, of course, the, the, what happened to the fan, which was uh, weird. And when they came, when they started, when the game came back on after after the stop, it felt like awkward you know like the match is still going but I wasn't in the mood anymore you know because uh, all of what happened and, and stopping again for such a long period it was all very very weird but thankfully as, as you mentioned you know everything went fine for for the spectator yes yeah, so it was uh, Frankie de Jong who opened the scoring before Robert Lewandowski doubled the lead and then in those kind of dying minutes as you say there was awkward goals from Ousman Dembele and Ansu Fati Nine changes, as you said, for Xavi's side, and it didn't look too fluid. There was also debuts from Marcos Alonso. Hector Bejarin was also um, in the starting lineup for for his first appearance. Do you think we're starting to see kind of a a defined sort of starting lineup from Xavi Hernandez? I mean, Frankie De Jong played this game and the Victoria game. Is that midfield now settled as Pedri, Busquets, and Gavi, for instance? Yeah, I think uh, Xavi pretty much knows uh, who his starting players are. I mean, that's why he basically uh, left them on the bench uh, to, to face Bayern, of course, in the Champions League, which is for him probably the, the important game. Uh, Busquets played because he, he didn't have as many minutes in his legs from the previous matches, of course, uh, so it gave him that opportunity. But, um, I mean, Xavi wanted a very deep squad for this, you know, to be able to, to rest his starting eleven and then to just bring on other quality players and, and know that uh, they're likely going to get or the three points. And of course, in the end, he'll be happy even though he had to bring on Lewandowski, etc. because the game wasn't as easy as maybe he thought originally because it's, it's true that Cali hadn't, hadn't scored any goals and they still haven't scored and they conceded so many and, and they've had a horrible start to the season. Uh, but uh, it's never easy to, to beat a team like this at their own ground. So, I mean, uh, the moment, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely... We definitely know what the starting eleven will be against Bayern or, or very similar to what we imagined. Definitely, yes. And Robert Lewandowski, uh, just a word for him on his kind of desire. The, the ball kind of sat up, almost kind of rolling in front of the goal for his goal and, and nobody was there. And it was him and the defender. I think Lewandowski maybe had a slight head start, but you saw just the kind of sort of hunger and desire. Wolf, like he was onto the ball, sliding in and... There's something just so powerful about Lewandowski, which I think is kind of what's exciting Barcelona fans. As you mentioned, they play Bayern Munich on Tuesday. What kind of chance do you give them against Bayern? Because Bayern, is, I mean, they're very good, obviously, but they've kind of had their way with Barcelona in, in recent seasons. And this is a real kind of litmus test of how far Xavi Hernandez's sides have come. Yeah, it's, it's the, the first big test we could say of the season if we don't count the Sevilla game uh, and it's definitely going to really show at what level you know that the team is at the moment I still th personally think that there's a lot to improve on in terms of the football they play but at the same time they have so many good players this season the squad is so strong that uh, they can comfortably score tons of goals as we've seen in the start and against Bayern I mean I do think that Bayern aren't maybe as, as strong also as, as previous seasons I mean losing Lewandowski and some other players has definitely taken a toll but of course they're, they know what they they know what they want to play and how to play it, so they're definitely going to uh, be a very dangerous side. And it's going to be interesting to see also uh, how our defense can compete against a, such a, striking, a strong attacking team, you know, because we have been playing other squads which 
have generated and we, we've suffered at some point of the game. So that'll be interesting to see if we still suffer as much against a strong team like Bayern Munich, for example. Uh, but uh, as you were saying before about Lewandowski, the, the, the hunger he has, just imagine against Bayern Munich, you know, against his ex-team. You could tell he, he, he really wanted this change. He was uh, looking forward to a new experience and he's really making the most of it. And I'm so sure he's going to be super motivated for that game against uh, Bayern Munich. So that's definitely going to be uh, really interesting to watch and see what he can do against them. And just finally on that kind of match, Balde has been starting a lot of left back. Araujo has been more or less at centre-half since Kunde came in. What would your kind of starting back four be for that match? Well, um, it's tough to say. I mean, I really prefer seeing Kunde as a centre-back with Araujo. But he has been doing really well so as, as a full-back on that right side. And given Bellerin has uh, been there just a while, and I'm not a great fan of Sergio Roberto either. I think I'd play Kunde on the right. Uh, then center backs probably Araujo and I'm doubting between Eric and Christensen. Probably Eric because he's more comfortable on the left and Araujo on the right. And then on that left back position, I definitely go for Balde because uh, Marcos Alonso still needs time, in my opinion. And uh, Jordi Alba, he hasn't been too bad in the few games he's played, but uh, giving him the starting uh, position, I'd say, was kind of. Uh, going back to where we started, you know, <laughs> we're trying to move Alba aside a little bit, and if you start him now, it's kind of saying like, okay, uh, he's not really going to be moved. So I th I'd go for Balde, who's done really well, to be honest, in the start of the season. So he deserves. We shall see how close Roman's analysis is to that of Xavi Hernandez. <laughs> Moving on to Hitafe and Larial. Larial got their first historic win over Manchester United, including a first goal at Old Trafford on Thursday. And they came to a winless Hitafe, who were looking pretty poor and slumped to a defeat promptly. Enes Unal scored with a brilliant free kick and then set up Carlos Alenia for the second. Bryce Mendes pulled one back. Um, Alex Romeo also saved a penalty from Borja Mayoral. A first win for Kike Sanchez Flores. Pretty loud, pretty um, raucous celebrations at Hitafe. What did you make of this game and why were L'Areal so poor? Well, I mean, uh, Getafe definitely needed the win. Uh, kind of like Sevilla, you know, with Lopetegui. I think Ike Sanchez-Flores really needed those three points, especially at home. And against the Real Sociedad, who, as you mentioned, played against uh, Manchester United. And I kind of felt like they were maybe dragging a bit from that game. Even though it's still the start of the season and you don't expect them to be physically too tired, you know. When, when the season starts, just a few games on uh, your legs. You still should be fresh enough, I think, to compete at a good level against the Getafe who started so so bad uh, but surprisingly Real Sociedad weren't great and to make matters worse uh, Umar Sadik had to leave with a possible injury which doesn't look great so I mean if they lose him now that's definitely going to be a big blow because they don't really have much more in attack apart from Sorloth who he's alright you know but he's not a main man for a club like Real Sociedad who's fighting in the Europa League and to qualify for European positions in La Liga so I mean quite disappointing from Real Sociedad Although if you look back at their stats, it's true that when they play Europa League games, they also tend to struggle in, in La Liga games. So uh, maybe that squad isn't deep enough uh, for uh, the manager to be able to, to make too many changes and, and you know get good results in both competitions. Certainly where, where my concerns lie, I have to say. And Elena mentioned after the match, well, to be fair, 
Hetafe last season, they didn't win until the seventh match. So this is a real improvement from Kike Sanchez Flores. <laughs> Cardiff are one of the two sides that remain winless. The other is Elche, who were beaten 4-1 by Athletic at home and looked pretty useless, it has to be said. Nico Williams scored a fantastic goal. Oyan Sanset from the penalty spots. Berenguer and an own goal for Athletic. Boye pulled one back. There was one of the Athletic goals, I think it was Berenguer, just before halftime, where... The ball is in the air and it actually thumps the Elche defender in the face before it falls to Berenguer, which kind of sums up how that match went for them. But Athletic overcoming their scoring issues. Elche, though, Francisco, how much trouble is he in? Another one. I mean, some clubs have really had so such poor starts. Uh, we said with Getafe, who at least got the win, and Sevilla, who at least got the win. But then you have Elche, you have uh, Cadiz. Uh, these two, I mean, at the moment look like absolute relegation material unless something really changes, uh, whether it's a new manager or, or squad mentality. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's happening there at Elche because um, I remember I saw one, a few of the games at the beginning of the season where at home they didn't look too bad. You know, they had the crowd behind them. They were going forward. But then I don't know what's happening there. They're just not working out. And defensively, they just look so, so poor. I mean... Uh, four goals but some of those goals were really uh, I think more of a defensive problem than than um, offensive capabilities of the club you know they're just kind of lost at the back making those silly mistakes as you mentioned in, in that Berenguer goal and I don't know it's a really need a change or, or Francisco is, is really have, gonna have to leave soon and, and they're gonna have to find someone else and it's sad because Francisco really kind of uh, last season solved their problems you know helped them maintain themselves but now he just can't seem to find answers for them. It's only uh, Barcelona up next for Elche, so I'm sure Francisco will be delighted with that. And uh, yeah, you did mention Raul de Tomas in the kind of Espanol section earlier. He was meant to be in negotiations for a return to Rayo. And after the match, which Rayo beat Valencia 2-1 in, Raul Martín Presa, who's the controversial president, came out with a plaster on his nose and confirmed that Ivan Garcia, who is De Tomas's agent, had headbutted him and sent him to hospital during negotiations, which is an extra fantastic comical twist, it has to be said, although it does drag Raul through the mud a little bit more. But go and check out Roman's piece on Raul De Tomas and how he went from kind of a Spain international to just lost in this transfer market and trying to find a way out of Espanyol. Raul did beat Valencia 2-1. Do you have any quick thoughts on this one, Roman? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe I was a bit disappointed uh, in Valencia because I thought that after that uh, win against Getafe, you know, they might uh, build up on that. And because uh, there's their new style of football with with um, with Gattuso, which is more more control, more possession, uh, more moving forward as as a block, is is an interesting proposition, you know, for a Valencia who's gone through so many changes in the last. Uh, seasons and I think it, it could give them good results, but again, again, Rayo Vallecano didn't prove uh, solid enough. In the, and then on the other hand, we have a Rayo Vallecano who needed this win at home, you know, because it had been 266 days since they hadn't won a home game, which for me was surprising because I remember they had such a good start to the season at home uh, last year, but I d- didn't think it was uh, so long ago, you know. But there you go. Uh, now a home win for them is definitely a good boost and, and Rayo have a have a strong team have a great manager and I think they shouldn't be struggling uh, like they did like they did in last season except for the end uh, with relegation you know they should uh, get a comfortable mid-table uh, position 
And last but not least, Girona got a second home win against Valladolid in the dying minutes. Oriol Romeo um, in the dying minutes in the 87th minute to secure that victory. Girona looking decent enough for you to stay up or you, do you have concerns about them? Well, I mean, I have concerns because uh, of their past experiences in, in the first division and also uh, because they've brought in lots of lots of new players. They just completely changed the squad, you know, and that's never easy uh, to to quickly adapt the players to, to the way you want to play, etc. But I think so far, Mitchell has been doing a good job. Uh, they look like a team that should be strong at home and maybe they'll grab some points away so I do think they should have enough to, to save themselves I think Oriol Romeo as you mentioned he's been a fantastic uh, signing for them it's really going to give some solidity to that midfield um, going forward this season and other really interesting signings as we've seen like Tati Castellanos uh, Riquelme etc etc I mean the squad for me is good so it's just a matter of, of getting them to play what you need and getting it to be a solid team that can uh, defend in those dying moments like Bayern couldn't do in this case, for example. So uh, I think uh, Girona will be an interesting team to watch and, and hopefully uh, they won't struggle too much uh, in terms of fighting for relegation. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Roman. That brings us to the end of the of the fixtures. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for your thoughts. Go and check us out on Twitter because we are covering La Liga. We do put out some great stuff if um, I do say so myself, um, at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter. Go and subscribe to the Substack, where we're also kind of keeping you up to date and across, as well as delving into some of the stories. I'll trouble you for one final thing, Roman. What was your moment of the week? And there was a lot of good moments this week. Yeah, well, more, more than a moment, I'm going to go for a result, and it's, it's going to be the Sevilla win. I mean, I kind of like Lopetegui, and I felt bad that uh, he's going through this complicated situation and I mean he's done really good stuff for Sevilla and I hope he can still you know uh, recover from from this blow he's had at the beginning of the season I think that uh, results should be something to build upon and yeah hopefully Lopetegui and Sevilla will, will be a strong team once again not just in La Liga but also in, in European competitions Excellent thank you very much Roman and we will play out on sort of Sevilla's third goal which was scored by Jose Angel Carmona El Niño del Pueblo, the boy from the village, the boy from Oliva. Um, it was terrific commentary, it has to be said. And, and what a day he had. But from myself, Roman, Roman from La Liga Lowdown, I'll sign off. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, ese muchacho! ese muchacho!
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.